Welcome to the world of Aeora, a news and lore podcast about the Pillars of Eternity games, as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the world of Aeora. I'm your host Eric aka Gingerino and I thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. This podcast is a news and lore show focusing on Pillars of Eternity and Avowed. The reason that we pair all those games together is because they share the same fantasy world known as Aeora. So as the theory goes if we look into the history, the game mechanics, and the lore for Pillars of Eternity we'll know more about Avowed as it undergoes development. And that way we can all walk into the game with an even knowledge base. Before moving forward, I just want to apologize because I'm sure you can tell that I have a cold. And while I know it's not necessarily the best thing to listen to, I figured some content is better than no content. Maybe I'm wrong on that, who knows. But either way, this is what you're getting today. As people warned me ahead of time that when your baby goes into daycare, um, you become a biological experiment. And that is uh, pretty much what's gone on. My wife and I are constantly sick. I think I've had a cold for like three weeks, but it's really kicked in this week, so... Uh, apologies again for that bleeding through, but uh, we're going to go through with today's content anyway. Falling in line with what we've been discussing in the last several episodes, we're going to be diving into the last major faction in the second Pillars of Eternity game, Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire. The Deadfire Archipelago is a setting for the second Pillars game, and it's a smattering of islands in a range of biomes, because I believe it actually crosses the equator of the world at some point. I can't remember that, or it's at the equator, and it goes all the way down to like the southern tip. I can't recall exactly how it works, but it's got a, a large geography and variety to it. In the Deadfire Archipelago, both in its geography and its setting within history, there are a number of factions to discuss within the second game. We've talked about the Huana tribes, the people who have already been living there for thousands of years. We've talked about the Valian Trading Company, which is a mercantile group coming out of the Valian Republics with the sole purpose of making the Valian Republics rich. We've talked about the Royal Deadfire Company, which started out as a military group from the empire known as Rawatai, and they want to use the Deadfire Archipelago as a means to feed uh, and clothe the people back home in their homeland because they don't really have the resources necessary for their growing population. And lastly, we're going to discuss today the Principi Sen Petrina, the pirate faction. That's right. If you have a video game that's set out in the high seas and you're on the ship and you're going from island to island and you're getting plunder and all this stuff, you have to have pirates. There are pirates in Aeora, just like there are pirates in real life. So today we're discussing the faction group, the Principi Sen Patrina. I'm curious, what exactly did you find there? The Principi Sen Patrina, which is Valian for princes without a homeland, is a pirate confederacy that exists within the time frame of the Second Pillars of Eternity game, and a lot of them are found within the Deadfire Archipelago. The reason that they're in the Deadfire Archipelago is because basically they're trying to find a new home, they're trying to find a place to settle down in. That's a little bit difficult given the way their government is structured and all that, but this is essentially the place where they're setting up base, uh, for lack of a better term. There are a number of pirates sailing the seas in the Deadfire Archipelago. The population is estimated to be around 13,000 on average, though to be fair, that is considered widely inaccurate based on the fact that there is um, 
uh, discretion and intimidation going on. People are trying to like not necessarily assert themselves with Principe San Petrena because sometimes you're just trying to do shady business deals and you don't want people to know that you're associated with the pirates. So it's not a, a number that we can necessarily rely on. But I mean, the fact that you're even guessing around the 13,000 mark shows how many pirates there are in the Deadfire Archipelago. The faction itself is mainly made up of ocean folk, which is to say basically humans from old Valia. There are Amauans in there as well. There's really a, uh, there's really a smattering of every culture within the Principe San Petrena because, I mean, anyone who's considered an outcast can join in on pirate ships and sail the high seas and gather loot and increase in their power. So, like, anyone can. But the Principe San Petrena started off as a result of one of the old empires of the world known as Old Valia or Grand Valia. They, that civilization began to collapse, and when people fled... They went to the Deadfire, and they started kind of organically forming this pirate confederacy. How their government is structured is essentially they have this thing called the Consueglo Mecasitas, and I know I'm butchering that, which is partly due to the cold, but it's also mostly just because I don't remember how to pronounce it, uh, which is roughly translated to Council of Captains. Basically, if you have a ship and you have a crew with 50 or more people, you're eligible to join the Council of Captains. Your voting power um, takes into account how many people are on your crew. So the more people you have in your uh, in your ship and under your command, the more weight you have for voting power within this council. The kind of things that you'd vote on if you're a member of the council is um, determining what you know, like what the pirate code is in the guidebook, which is what I'm referencing a lot of this from. It says defining acceptable conduct. Which come on, we all know that's pirate code. It's making the pirate code. Um, adjudicating disputes, evaluating mutinies, so, you know, determining whether or not the mutiny was correct or incorrect in its thing, whether anyone committed an actual crime, making new settlements, and managing diplomacy with other dead fire powers. Because the reality is, is these pirates are trying to establish a home, and I think they're aware that they can't take on three massive factions all at once and expect to survive. This is a, um, a largely an overview of their power, and, like, while they have a general generalized power for the entire Principe St. Petrena, when it comes down on a ship-to-ship -ship level, the captains kind of do as they see fit. But once it becomes a big enough problem, then the council of captains come in and they get to make the judgment on what goes on. So they have final say, but largely in part, you're going to follow your own captain. Unlike a lot of other cultures in Aora, the deities that are worshipped in the Principe St. Petrena is very wide. And that's because anybody can join the Pirate Confederacy. I mean, like, whether or not you survive, I suppose, if there's an incursion from a, a ship of pirates, if they take you in and you decide to join or you seek them out, there's a number of different kinds of folk that are in this Pirate Confederacy. And as a result, we see a large array of different worship and different deities. Obviously, being pirates on the high seas, they worship Andra and Hylia a lot. Andra being goddess of the ocean and the waves and all that. Hylia being goddess of the sky and things like wind, which would matter a lot to that. Because the Principe San Petrena is founded in Valian roots as well, then Woodica also gets involved in terms of worship. A lot of cultures, especially the old empires, they tend to worship Woodica. Uh, as well, the slaves that are employed, I guess you could say, under the Principe San Petrena, they tend to have a quiet but notable affinity for Skane, the god of resentment and violent rebellion, etc., etc. If you're a person who wants to, like, destroy the powers that be and uh, cripple the 
the patriarchy or whatever it is. I don't know what you, what your thing is, but like if you're if you're trying to take down a boss, take out someone who's superior than you. Like if you're a slave, you probably will pray to and worship the god Skane for freedom from that or so that justice can be done. It's a he's a he's a complicated god that Skane guy. Uh, he's interesting to look at. So how did the Principe San Petrina come to get formed? Well, in the midst of Grand Valia's drawn-out collapse, the Empire's most prominent families resolved to go their own way. Ten vessels set sail together, bearing a thousand souls and the contents of their family estates. Mountains of coin, gems, works of art, and armories shared space in the hold with livestock and other basic necessities of survival. This is one paragraph directly quoted from the Pillars of Eternity 2 guidebook. So, what is going on here? Well, Grand Valia, as I've mentioned before, is one of the empires of the world of Aeor. It's one of the old empires. So it's a nation that has been around for a long time, and it's got its fingers in a lot of different places throughout the world. But like many societies do, this one started to collapse. And this society being one of, you know, nobility, there's being like families of people and the noble families basically run everything as the society started to collapse these families got together and started sailing away from Grand Valia so that they could find a new home they figured to themselves that perhaps they ought to go to one of the new frontiers of the world and set up something new there but they weren't really welcome in a lot of places they went they tried to go to the Valian republics which was essentially a set of colonies that became its own confederacy that originated from Old Valia, so that one made sense to go to, except the people of the Valian Republics, especially those in charge, viewed these noble families fleeing Grand Valia as a threat to their economy, and that they would just basically be coming in and trying to seize power from the people that are already there, and so they had a lot of pressure to not settle in the Valian Republics, basically because they were viewed as a threat. They would have gone to the Deerwood, which is the first setting for the Pillars of Eternity game, but there was already a lot of conflict going on there. Adir had set up its own colony, which had become independent, and they were waging war against the Glanfathen tribes that already existed there, so there wasn't really any room for them to move into and do something with. Rayad Saris, as well, was undergoing its own turmoil, and so there wasn't an opportunity to settle there. The only place that they really could go was the, Ish is the Ishimital Plains, and I don't know if I'm ever pronouncing that right. But they found that the land was untenable to the way that they would live. They didn't know how to live on the land, and apparently the resources were too scarce. So they set their sails out east and started sailing towards the Deadfire Archipelago. While traveling the high seas, both to the Valian Republics to try to find a new place to live, and then ultimately on their way out to the Deadfire Archipelago, it's worth noting that the old way of their society began to give way. How it would have gone is there would have been these noble families on ships and they would have like intermingled between ships and shared with each other. But as the situation that they were in started to settle and they started to really understand where they were, the social norms of Grand Valia that these people live with started to break down. Soon you would see people who were formerly nobles in Grand Valia working alongside the grunts and the crew members of a ship. And people would even often marry outside of their class. So people who were formerly nobles are now marrying people who would have been peasants in this world. And so the societal norms of these people that they grew up with is changing dramatically, and it's all up in the air. And so this is a ripe situation for a new society and a new culture to kind of come out. And so what happened as they began to sail into the Deadfire Archipelago is that they found themselves having to take matters in their own hands to survive. Their new home was not as welcoming as many had hoped, 
Distance between islands, violent and unpredictable weather, and treacherous currents made the foreign waters maddening to traverse. Crops failed to grow in the rocky acidic soil, and pests dispatched their livestock with incredible speed and ferocity. Out of necessity, the Valian exiles raided Huana coastal villages for what food and supplies they could not provide themselves. This would form the basis of a strained and antagonistic relationship with the Huana for many years to come. That's an, another direct quote from the guidebook that I'm getting all this from. And how this starts off and then continues on to go is basically the Valians that these Grand Valians that are looking for a new land in the Deadfire Archipelago, they kind of realize that they need to survive by any means possible. They don't know how to work the land. They don't know how to survive here. They're not welcome anywhere else. And so they have to start doing things like raiding the Huana tribes, the people that have lived here for thousands of years. They have to start doing raids just to get food so that they can survive. They weren't very good at settling down and establishing settlements, and so they started moving from island to island. They were adept at making ports really quick, so they were able to have places to dock their ships uh, to do repairs and to trade and sell and all that. A culture began to form because they were starting to have these like harbor towns show up, and people were more defined based on the ship that they were with and the captain that they were under than anything else. And a lot of the goods that they would uh, trade and sell at these harbor towns would be pillaged goods, right? So it's stuff that you've stolen from other people. And you can see little by little the foundations here for creating a pirate lifestyle. These people who are just trying to survive and they're not really able to settle anywhere are going from place to place, just taking what they can, uh, trying to get all they need to survive. They take the extras, they go back to a safe haven where all their other pirate brothers and sisters are, although they might not have called themselves pirates at this point. And they sell these goods that they don't need for other coin or other materials that they do need. And very little, you start to see this culture, this society come up. And you can tell that this began, to, that they started to form a cultural identity around this because in this lifestyle, people began to call themselves princes without a homeland because they didn't really have a homeland. They didn't even have a main island at this point in which to call home. They didn't have the Grand Valley anymore. They weren't welcome in the colonies. Uh, of Deerwood, they weren't welcome in the city confederates of Valian Republic, so they didn't have a homeland, but they called themselves princes. And so Principe Sin Patrina was formed. Because of this lifestyle they were living, they were ostracized even more by the factions that were gaining power within the Deadfire Archipelago. Because they were being meddlesome in the affairs of the other mercantile companies in the area, that being Royal Deadfire Company and the Valian Trading Company, they were often viewed with disdain, and those two trading companies would quite often send ship hunters out to hunt down Principi pirates. And so they're ostracized from main communities, and they are living on their own in little safe havens, and they're forming this kind of pirate life identity, but they're just trying to survive. But anytime they you know, invade an area where there's Audra mining going on, for example, the Valian trading company gets very upset because that's what they're trying to make their money from. And so... The more and more they get ostracized from these different cultures, the more and more they get ingrained in their own. And the persecution that was being laywayed against them probably solidified that even more, as a lot of the higher-up captains were hunted down by these trading companies. Uh, people started to form their own identity, and becoming a pirate captain, becoming a captain of the ship was dangerous yet rewarding. There's a whole bunch of facets going on here that helped them solidify who they are. And as we know... Uh, by looking at other subcultures in the world, the more ostracized you get, if you already have an identity formed in something, you can root yourself in that even more. And so they viewed themselves as having to do what they need to survive. Other people hate them and hunt them down for it. And so they 
solidify themselves more into this way of thinking and this way of living. But not everything is going well for them, uh, because there are debates within the Principi Sen Patrina on how to continue living, because they recognize that while they have been liberated from their old way of living now at this point, it is an unsustainable way to live. So some think that the Principi must continue to expand, take new ships from the increased traffic of the Deadfire, and use the power of numbers to their advantage. Others think that the Principi should settle on an island of their own and claim the legitimacy of a nationhood that the original crews longed for when they left their motherland behind. That's a direct quote from the book again. And so there's this split within the Principi San Patrona of like, what should we do? How should we operate? Should we go out and expand? Should we get new islands and claim it for ourselves? And should we continue to move outward? Or should we settle down somewhere and start to build a nation from scratch like we originally wanted to? And this split in the Principi San Patrina is largely, I would say, and this is me kind of interpreting it, largely a reason why they haven't been able to expand in their power quite a lot. Because you have all these ships on an individual level that are kind of governing themselves. Even though that they have eventually created the Council of Captains, there isn't much that they can do to enforce a lot of rules unless they have the power and the manpower to back that up. And so when there's a split like this in this brimming society in this culture of pirates there's not a lot to do except wait until it resolves itself until either the people start warring or eventually the people who have chosen the quote-unquote wrong one eventually die out or it's proved incorrect there's not a lot you can do so this split has caused kind of a major stalemate within the principi sent patrina itself when playing Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire, we can often see both of these things kind of happening at the same time because there is kind of a pirate head base, a main home that they're living in. But also, there are pirate ships out on the seas of the Deadfire that are very clearly trying to expand and do their own thing. So you can see both of these influences happening at the same time. The location that is considered the home base of the pirates' confederacy, that is Principe San Petrena, is called Dunnage. And that's where the Council of Captains also reside. Dunnage, also associated with Balefire Beacon, was at once a place where a set of dwarven explorers lived. But they fled after a stream of undead came flowing out of the caves and started killing all of them. So these dwarven explorers left. However, the Principe and Petrena, who ha are always ready for a fight, saw what was going on. And they took the undead by surprise and recaptured the entire island area. And so they established this area after defeating all the undead as kind of a home base for themselves. There's a lighthouse there that used to help travelers be able to navigate the seas. And now it just stands as a beacon for other Principe San Petrena pirates to come to a location where they are safe and where they can grow and where they can trade and they can just live their best pirate lifestyle. This is also where the Consuaglo's seat of authority is. And remember, the Consuaglo is like the, the captain the captain of captains, the captains of captains. These are the people on the seat of authority in the council of captains. And this is where they do stuff. So this is where they make decisions. This is where they dole out justice. You know, If you're a criminal in this pirate confederacy, they take you to the top of the tower and they unceremoniously just throw you off to splatter on the ground below. The Radiant Court, which is essentially where they do all their buying and selling and trading and partying and all that is uh, down below. And it's just it's just a pirate haven is what it is. And you will get to go visit that in the second Pillars of Eternity game if you do so choose. And speaking of the Council of Captains, I've mentioned that the voting power 
of a particular captain who has a seat on there is determined by how much of a crew they have. But how do you determine what your crew size is? Well, any times that the captains have to meet together to do a vote or anything like that, all the captains will bring these little trinkets that each of their crew member has called a sualanet. Sailors who join the Principe Sen Petrena, who then become pirates, are given this little item called a sualanet, which is Valian for little sun. It's a coin-sized medallion etched with a pattern of the sailor's choosing, and quite often this sualanet is associated with whatever ship that they are on board of or the captain that they are serving under. And these ships are like a lot like families. That's kind of what they consider themselves as. So there's a familial aspect to them, and there's an identification with, I am a member of this crew, and I will die for my brothers and sisters kind of thing. And when a captain has to go to the council of captains to vote, they go to their crew members, and they say, okay, give me your Suolanet, and then they show up, and they essentially use these things as basically voting chips, right? So if a dude shows up and he's got 100 Suolanets, when an issue comes up, he can use each individual one as a token of voting, right? So theoretically speaking, you could spend all of your things uh, and then not vote on something later. I don't know if you get them back after each issue is voted on or not, but the more you have in your crew, the more Suolanets you have, which means the more tokens you can use in the voting process to vote for stuff. So that's how that works, is one captain representative for a number of people that he is representing on his ship or in his crew altogether. So all of this seafaring lifestyle has led to a unique set of pirate customs and way of living. One of the less practical but still positive traditions of these pirate lifestyles is quote-unquote songs of the high seas which is to say that these pirate ship crews, they sing a lot, and they sing together. And this is not just, oh, you know, we're having to work, so we're singing, and that's fun and fine and dandy. It gets us through the day. It has kind of suffused itself into the very culture of the Principe San Petrina. And actually, singing becomes something that is very important to this pirate lifestyle. In fact, a captain of a ship is more likely to boast of his crewman's singing prowess and lyrical writing than their combat prowess. That's how important it is. The pirates of this Principe Sempertrina use songwriting and singing for more than just the enjoyment of the song, although they certainly do that. They actually write their songs in a particular way that is trying to communicate something specific um, or give a riddle to people. So quite often, these people who are writing these songs about the adventures of their crew, they will add details into the song that seem superfluous, or they don't even seem related sometimes. And to someone listening to the song that isn't aware of the context, they won't understand necessarily what it's about. So in a way, you're kind of like singing a secret code to one another. And that makes it all the more, I want to say, brotherly, in the sense of like you're forming a brotherhood and a family and a culture with these people that you're working alongside of. We understand the songs of one another. And you see this in subcultures all the time and in faith groups of songs that everyone knows together, but then people looking from the outside in, they don't necessarily understand it the same way. These songs on the high seas that are sung from pirate ships to other pirate ships can also communicate things. Like, for example, if we're singing about thunder on the distance, that might have something to do with a Royal Deadfire Company ship in the area, or the stars in the sky might have something to do with the Valian Trading Company. 
And a lot of times pirate ships will help each other out because they're not all against each other, but they are definitely trying to vie for their own power and control. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. But you'll hear a song sung from another pirate ship and you could sit there with your crewmates and try to dissect each individual thing of like, what is it they're trying to communicate? What is the riddle of this song that they sang to us from across the waves? And the interpretation of these lyrics is very important because it could mean the difference between life and death if you choose to pursue what's going on or even ignore a warning that might exist within the song. So good songwriting and communication through songwriting is an important aspect of the culture within the Principe San Petrina. Another aspect to pirate life is the reading of flags, specifically flags of reputation and intent. Now, it is normal within pirate lifestyle, uh, at least in the Principe San Petrina, to raise a flag of color to communicate something to another ship. And usually it's something on the lines of surrender or die. But there are other ways that you can communicate. So while it is encouraged within the Principe San Petrina to just raise a black flag and to just kind of leave it at these bare bones level of communication, uh, they just like to have solid color on these flags. There are exceptions. A lot of pirates have raised flags, but they've added insignias or iconography on there, which is frowned upon or not encouraged, but some pirates do this to communicate something else. For example, Captain Tavello of the Medico came to be known by her black flag sporting two skeletal hands joined together, meaning that she wanted the exchange of goods to end favorably, but would except a less amicable alternative. Another example, Captain Vicesi of the Rite of Passage flew a flag with a red harpoon boasting of his prowess as a hunter of sea monsters. Captain Bugasso of her feistiness shows the standard of a snapped blade, identifying them as a disgraced former officer of the Valian Republics. The list goes on. There are other ways of also communicating things with the flags that you use in your ship. For example, if you take down another fleet's ship, um, especially a notable one with a unique flag, you can then tear that flag and raise it as a signal that you have destroyed this ship, which lets other ships know, by the way, that that one's no longer in the area, so you don't have to worry about it. And it also sets you apart as formidable in terms of seafaring and uh, battling on the seas. So reading flags is an important part of the Principe Sen Petrena lifestyle. Jumping ahead in the book to the virtues and vices, uh, I love that Obsidian includes this in their write-ups for the lore of the faction, where they say these are the value systems of a culture. In any culture, you can establish their uniqueness by their value systems, the things on the top being those which are most treasured, and then going down the list, the things at the bottom being things that um, you would actually disdain as a culture. So in the virtues part of the list, we have tradition, nobility, freedom, and unity. A lot of this makes sense when you consider where the Principe San Petrina comes from. They originate from the Grand Valia Old Empire, which was all about noble families and classism, etc., etc. And they found this new home and they formed their new identity as princes without a homeland because of all this. And so tradition and nobility being values makes sense. And holding on to tradition and nobility, I think, allows you to kind of loosely enforce a pirate code amongst people because that's one thing that I always find interesting about this kind of faction of a pirate confederacy is how do you get a large group of people especially ones where each ship tends to govern itself how do you get people to obey a loosely drawn up pirate's code how do you stick them to a code of honor 
Well, if you suffused your culture with tradition and nobility, then that makes it a lot easier because they value these things, and so people tend to dogmatically accept them. And that's just how you live as a pirate, and any deviation from that is deemed worthy of punishment. And lastly, freedom and unity. This makes sense as well, just given the way that they're living, because they were living as nobles in Grand Valia, but they have shed those shackles, and they now embrace one another. They now embrace each other as brothers and sisters on the same ship. And so they have freedom from the way they were living before. They're no longer living by the constraints of the strict rules of the Valiant Republics or Grand Valia. And unity is also important because without unity, a ship can't survive. You can't gain more crew members. You get less voting power. Unity is important to a pirate lifestyle. You need to trust the people that you're working alongside. Even though you know that everyone's kind of in it for themselves, you have to still have a level of unity amongst the people you're working with. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. And it makes sense, too. If there was a ship that didn't have unity, they would survive a lot less. They were more likely to be taken down, which means those who work together, those who have unity, they're the ones that are creating the culture moving forward. So it makes sense that unity would win out in this particular scenario. Contrasted against these are the vices, the things that the Principe San Petrina in general view as bad values, things that you don't want to have. These are greed, rule of strength, and decentralization. When you contrast this against the virtues, it makes a lot of sense. Um, although, at first glance, it might appear a little awkward or weird. Greed, for example. You think a pirate would value greed in the sense that you're trying to gain more treasure, that you're trying to gain more power, but greed often leads to decisions that don't favor unity, that don't favor tradition. They are decisions that you make that, despite everyone else, gains you power, but at the cost of your your brothers and sisters. So it might uh, affect the crew members that you're with in a negative way, or it might affect the Principe Sempatrena in a negative way. Because as we're viewing each of these ships kind of like little families that are together, you also have to understand that these families are interconnected between the ships and then the entire pirate confederacy as a whole. And so in a way, other ships sailing by are like cousins. And so even though they're not as close to you, they're still part of the family in a way. And so greed undermines each other. And so while you're still trying to gain power, you're trying to also not gain power, but then destroy the way of living of the people around you. It's a weird line to have to walk along. And when you start thinking in those terms, you understand the other two vices as well. For example, rule of strength. While it's really understood within this pirate lifestyle that only the strong can survive in this group, only the strong can really thrive in this way of living, um, using that strength to assert your way over everyone else goes against what the Principe San Petrena was founded with, of people trying to work together and survive together and live and thrive and be free together. But if you are trying to use your strength to determine what is right and wrong, to tell everyone else what's going on, that even goes against the Council of Captains. Why have a Council of Captains if you're just the strongest person there is? Uh, it also makes the rest of the Pirate Confederacy look bad. It might invite more opposition where that is not needed. So that causes problems. And lastly, decentralization. That just makes sense when you contrast it against unity. If your ship is decentralized, it doesn't operate very well. If the entire pirate confederacy is not centralized in how it operates, then you can't enforce a pirate code. This pirate confederacy, when you really think about it, it's quite fragile. All it will take is a little bit of different ways of thinking, and all of a sudden the whole thing could collapse. But I think that they have set down some foundations in terms of like 
this is what we all want out of life. This is the type of lifestyle we all want. And so people don't abandon that. They want to pursue this pirate lifestyle. They want to grow in these ways. But there are things that threaten that way of life, decentralization being one of them. There has to be a unified understanding of what the pirate code is and that you have to live by it. Um, and that's why there are council of captains that can issue punishments like capital punishment being thrown off a building or Clusa's voyage for example which if i remember correctly i did in the andra's mortar episode is when they would just send people out into these ocean storms that would completely destroy you if you want to learn more about that go check out my andra's mortar episode it was a really interesting one about these perpetual massive storms that exist within the dead fires geography or i guess oceanography because it's not above land go ahead and check that out and so that is the vices for the Principe San Petrena. Now, there's a lot more that we could say about the Principe San Petrena. There are individual people that we could take a look at for the lore, and there's some of the quests that you have in the game. But I feel like as an overview of the faction that that'll do for today's episode, especially since I'm kind of coming up on my time limit that I set for it. So that's all we're going to talk about today. I might in the future do little bonus episodes on specific things, but for now, we're just going to leave it at that. So... Now that we've discussed what the Principe Sen Petrena faction is, let's ask the question we always ask, which, what does this have to do with Avowed? Is an oath worth the weight of a crown? Realistically, it probably won't have a lot to do with Avowed, uh, especially since they're so recent in the history of the Deadfire. Of course, it depends. If Avowed is taking place in the history of Aeora, where the Principe Sen Petrena exist, then there's always technically the chance that we could run into them. If it's early enough in the Principe Sen Petrena's history, where they weren't even named that yet, they were just Valians who were trying to find a new place to live, um, there's a chance that they might make port where Avowed takes place, and so we might interact with pioneers or progenitors of this culture. And, uh, but unless Avowed is taking place in the Deadfire after they have been established as a faction, I don't think we're going to interact with them very much. Um, and even if it's in another place where the early... Principe pirates might have been trying to find a new place to live. Even then, I don't think it'll be a substantive interaction. So in terms of Avowed, I don't think we're really going to interact with them that much, which is sad to hear because they're a very interesting faction of people. But I can also see how they were tailor-made for the second Pillars game. I don't know that they would necessarily fit in with other games as easily. And so it, it seems pretty unique to just the Pillars game. That's everything for today's episode. Thank you guys for bearing with me as I went through this episode. I'm pretty sure my voice degraded as I was recording, and I'm sure you could hear that. Uh, thanks for your patience in this regard. Hopefully I get better soon. My wife has got the worst of it, so um, I can at least sit here and record. She basically just has to sit down and try to exist as best as she possibly can at this point. Our boy, however, is healthy now, just completely over it, and energetic. Of course, right now he's napping, but anyways... That's all for today's episode. Thanks, everybody, for watching. If you just want to ask a question, offer a comment, or encourage it, or criticism, email me as well, worldofaora at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, at worldofaora, if you want any updates on the show, things that are going on, new projects that might occur, and that's where you can learn all that stuff. Thanks, everybody, for joining me on today's episode where we talked about the pirates of Pillars of Eternity, the Principe Sen Petrina, the princes without a homeland. Uh, we dove into their, their government and lifestyle a lot, and I was really into that. And I think they'd be really interesting to see about, even though I don't think we will. I'm looking forward to replaying Pillars of Eternity 2 and doing, I think, a full pirate run, just embracing that lifestyle and seeing where it takes me. But for now, that's everything. 
I'm your host, Eric, a.k.a. Gingerino, and I'll see you guys next time.